0: That was costly and misleading, wasn't it? Um, It was misunderstood. By everybody? Are you going to let me finish? You
1: know, uh, this interview is about to end.
0: It's that simple. Late last year, Donald Trump ordered and then partially halted the withdrawal of U.S. forces from Syria, causing many of his allies to doubt his commitment and reliability. My guest this week here at the State Department is Ambassador James Jeffrey, Special Representative of the U.S. for Syria engagement. Can any of America's policies in that country deliver a successful outcome? James Jeffrey, welcome to Conflict Zone. Thank you. For the sake of context, can we go back to December last year, the announcement by President Trump that uh, he had won basically over ISIS in Syria and that all U.S. troops would be coming home from Syria. That was costly and misleading, wasn't it?
1: Um, It was misunderstood. By everybody? Uh, uh, It was misunderstood. Uh, President Trump made it clear at the time to us and to uh, other leaders that he wasn't uh, losing the bubble, as we say, on the fight against ISIS, which you recognize could uh, reconstitute uh, uh, itself, nor was he uh, losing interest in Northeast Syria. He said at the time A, that uh, the United States would maintain its air cover over the Northeast, B, that uh, U.S. special operations personnel, he made this point very clear publicly in Ali al-Assad Air Base it in cost December. the President
0: his Secretary of uh, Defense, did uh, you gonna You can James let me finish, Morris.
1: or uh, sure. uh, that we would continue <clears throat> to uh, deploy special forces troops into northeast Syria. Uh, to go after ISIS if they started showing uh, signs of a threat. Uh, It did cost him uh, the resignation of his secretary of defense and my predecessor in the office that deals with uh, combating uh, uh, ISIS uh, 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 because they disagreed with the policy.
0: And quite a, a lot of blowback from Congress. Senator Lindsey Graham said it was a stain on the honor of the United States, added that it was disastrous to U.S. national security. How could a clever man like that on the U.S. Armed Services Committee have got it so wrong?
1: Uh, The issue is that the president, uh, after listening to people, including Lindsey Graham, decided that he would keep a residual force on.
0: So there was a rollback?
1: Uh, The president, after listening to people that he trusted, uh, decided that... uh, And here's... I was involved in these discussions, including with Lindsey Graham. Uh, And the reason is, the president didn't want to have Nazi Syria abandoned. He thought that uh, as part of his overall uh, strategy of burden sharing, that as the United States did the heavy lifting with at times 15,000 ground combat forces in Iraq and Syria, I'm not talking about the air the power, uh, I'm talking about well, helicopters, army helicopters, uh, we had a major force and they were involved in considerable combat, uh, that the uh, follow on are Stage four we call it uh, the uh stabilization phase could be done by perfectly competent forces from other coalition countries, many of whom are NATO countries. We know the quality okay, of their troops. I, I, and that's what he wanted. So I, he told us to go out and find uh countries why couldn't they come up with say five hundred or six hundred or a few more uh numbers of troops? Not a bad question. However, the answer we had to tell him was they would not commit
0: to forces unless there were some American forces. Okay, but the, the statement in December, we have won against ISIS, we've beaten them and beaten them badly, it hasn't been borne out by defense and it was left last month to the lead inspector general of your anti-ISIS inherent resolve operation to inform Congress of an altogether different reality. You know, it?
1: in the history of 50 years roughly that I've been involved in wars, I've rarely seen a statement by any victorious political force that is more close to the truth than what Donald Trump said. ISIS was unique in a way that focused the international's attention from 2014 until about March of this year, whereas we all forgot about Al-Qaeda. Why? Because al-Qaeda had gone away. No, al-Qaeda is actually quite active in many different places and terrorism experts are worried about. Because ISIS created a state and an army of 35,000 troops, commanded a population of 8 million people with a budget of
0: billions of dollars. But now has resurgent cells uh, in areas uh, controlled by Are you U- gonna let Pasi me finish? You know, uh,
1: this interview is about to end. It's that simple. ISIS as a state, and the unique threat that ISIS presented by its ability to project power into Paris, Khan, Berlin and other places, seven attacks in Turkey, uh, that ISIS has disappeared. And thus some of the very specific concerns we had, particularly about the stability of Iraq and the region as a whole. We now have ISIS as a terrorism uh, organization, not all that different from Al Qaeda. That is something that we worry about, something that we focus on, something that we're working on, which is why we're keeping troops on, which is why the coalition, including some, uh, I can't tell you exactly how many, but it's in the many thousands of, uh, some thousands of U.S. troops, are still in Iraq to defight ISIS in Iraq and Syria. So it isn't that we think the problem has gone away. The problem just changed dramatically because we achieved a victory over ISIS as a political force. Trump was right in saying that.
0: What's been particularly damaging for your Syrian allies was the timing of this withdrawal. The report from the Inspector General said the reduction has decreased the support available for Syrian partner forces at a time when they need more training and equipping to respond to the ISIS resurgent. Combined Joint Task Force also said the drawdown could cause those forces to look for alternate partnerships. None of that is good, is it?
1: Uh, If it were true,
0: it wouldn't be good. It comes from the Inspector General. Uh, Does that mean it's true? Well, do you know him to be uh, putting out false statements? I know
1: Inspector Generals would not ever deliberately put out false statements, but they often put out inaccurate statements based upon a misinterpretation of one-sided information that they get from one or another source. Had they asked me, which they probably should have as a State Department official responsible for the political side of the fight against ISIS, you would think that I would have been a reasonable person to chat with. They didn't. Uh, I would have told them, you know, Gee, I've talked with these very same uh, SDF forces eight times in the last uh, nine or ten months and I haven't gotten any complaints about the level of American support, even though we have, in conjunction with President uh, Trump's decision, conducted a very significant deliberate drawdown of a large percent of the forces we had there back in uh, the March period. That's the first thing. The second thing is uh, I do not see a surge in ISIS. I look at the actual number of attacks, incidents. I, resurgent
0: cells. Would you listen again?
1: I did this for a living for three years in Iraq, every day, including in parts of the time when I was the target. And I monitored every single attack that we were getting in Iraq. And I have a good idea of what an insurgency or a terrorist operation looks like. In Northeast Syria, it looks nothing like that. It's a handful of attacks a week with almost no lethal casualties. That is, very few people are dying. This is in an area of, hmm, 30% of all of Syria, the hotland of ISIS in 2013, 2014, with uh, uh, a population of several million people, and we're getting three, four attacks, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten attacks a week. No. Is that more than we got in the immediate aftermath of March? Absolutely. And in terms of needing more training, those SDF forces and our people who were training them were fighting a heavily armed conventional force that was dug in incredibly well with artillery, with heavy mortars, with minefields and everything else. That is really an extremely difficult military mission. What they're dealing with now is not easy. It's counterinsurgency in a way. It's counterterrorism. It requires a different skill set and thus some new training. But I would really deny that that is more difficult than fighting ISIS when ISIS was fielding an army.
0: Should the top general in the Middle East, Commander-in-Chief, and his senior generals have known what was being planned? Because commander of U.S. forces in the Middle East, General Joseph Votel, confirmed to Congress in February he was neither informed nor consulted about the president's decision. That is correct. And that's a glaring omission or not?
1: Uh, A glaring omission is too harsh. That's the kind of uh, thing that I see happening all the time in my government and every other government I deal with. Unfortunately, people make decisions and it doesn't get out uh, to the people in the field
0: in time. But the fact that it doesn't come through a tried and tested chain of command, is that not worrying?
1: Uh, The chain of command in the United States starts with the commander in chief. He took the decision. Therefore, it's a tried and
0: true chain of command. Yes, but if it's not communicated to the people who have to carry it out, it's, it's uh, not... It
1: was communicated to the people who carried it out. What you're saying is, shouldn't they have provided their advice to him beforehand?
0: Shouldn't they have been asked for the advice? Uh, they uh,
1: probably should have been asked for their advice. Their advice was that they would continue on uh, with a residual force. Uh, as I said, once uh, the dust settled from the December decision, the president uh, listened to them and decided that uh, he would go with a residual force.
0: Ambassador Jeffrey, your views on how this disastrous war will end seem very different. Which
1: disastrous war are you talking
0: about?
1: Uh, in the, in okay, Syria. Okay, now we're talking about not the fight against ISIS, which was anything but, but no, a disastrous No, we're talking about, about Syria. But the Syrian internal conflict, yes. Yes, your mm-hmm.
0: views on how this war will end are very different from those of your victory trumpeting president, aren't they? I mean, in May you told Congress, if experience any guide. <clears throat> Excuse me. We'll probably see several other pathetic, sorry, and much broken ceasefires that will eventually slow down the conflict. That, for us, is what victory looks like in this awful war. But it's it's worse than that, isn't it? Because the people you would see as the bad guys are winning, aren't they?
1: Uh, they continue to uh, announce ceasefires, and uh, these ceasefires continue to be broken down. But in the last uh, 13 months the regime has taken almost, the bad guys if you will, has taken almost no territory other than the area around Khan uh, um, in just south of Idlib. Now we're very unhappy about that because we think it indicates that the regime is thinking again about a military victory and is being supported by the Russians. So thus this will be a major theme at the UN General Assembly.
0: The Russians but, can deliver that, can't they, that victory?
1: Uh, no, the Russians can deliver uh, an advancement in uh, the Idlib area. The problem is uh, you have um, a Turkish forces also in Idlib to the north of there. Uh, the Russians do not have an answer to that, and you have a far larger Turkish forces in what we call the Euphrates Shield area around Jarabulus and Al Bab, and uh, in the Afrin area. And of course, we have forces and we have uh, other partner forces uh, in that northeast, 30% of the country. I don't think the Russians have an answer. And we have a uh, residual force in uh, Tom in the south. I don't think the Russians have an answer to any of that. And the Russians tell us themselves and state publicly that there is uh, no military, only a political solution. However, but they
0: turned the tide of the war for Assad. Uh,
1: they did turn the tide of war for
0: uh, Assad. Con- and will continue to do so. If uh, you they the will continue if they can get away with it to try to, yes. Isn't the enduring lesson of this whole tragic war that you can get away with mass murder, torture, and the repeated use of chemical weapons against your people? What are the chances that President Assad will ever stand trial in a war crimes tribunal? Pretty, pretty close to zero, Well, isn't the it?
1: Secretary General just announced a Board of Inquiry. Uh, We're expecting uh, new reports from the OPCW on chemical weapons use in 2017. As you know, we twice, uh, the second time supported by the French and the British, took military action on the base of chemical weapons. Uh, And I think the regime, we know the regime has taken that seriously. He's used them 30 times, hasn't he? Uh, Since we struck him twice, he's been very careful with only one. Uh, possible use that we're still looking into. Uh and that's in over a year and a half. So I would say that's an improvement. Uh the Assad regime has been denied all reconstruction funds from the international community and from essentially every single uh nation state. Uh they're under very strong US and EU sanctions and uh they're gonna continue to be put under a lot of pressure. Whether Assad ever stands trial for his war crimes, of which there are many and he certainly deserves to, uh, that's another question. Uh, But uh, we don't see uh, Assad as having won this war. We see Assad as having uh, that it is not possible for the (coughs) opposition militarily to win the war at this point. That is what the Russians and the Iranians have provided Assad.
0: But Ambassador, if the Taliban, who are continuing to blow up your soldiers, can almost make it for tea at Camp David and the Saudis who chop up their political opponents and then lie about it can have business as usual with Washington. Assad doesn't have much to worry about, does he?
1: Uh, I would not compare him with either uh, Taliban, Who is the second? The Saudis. Um, You know, I have a very simple, but tried and true uh, attitude towards who you really worry about in this world. there is basically an international order, however flawed, that we in the U.S. are associated with as leaders, uh, much of the rest of the world, particularly uh, your uh, viewers in Western Europe and Britain and elsewhere are all part of and beneficiaries of. And then there are people who are trying to overthrow that order. ISIS is one, uh, among the others, and we've listed them in the national security strategy, uh, is Iran uh that puts iran in a totally uh different category. Uh, Syria has allied itself with iran. We see this in the introduction of Iranian long-range weapon systems of the sort that struck the Saudi uh uh petroleum installations uh over the weekend uh into Syria. Uh threatening Israel and thus provoking uh Israeli military responses which has further complicated uh the uh uh, environment in Syria. That is, you have uh, several wars uh, happening uh, simultaneously, but the core of all of these wars is Iranian expansionism and Assad's uh, facilitation of that.
0: How destabilizing do you think those attacks uh, on Saudi oil installations were for the region?
1: Well. I'm not responsible for the region. I'm responsible for Syria and the fight against ISIS. I understand, which
0: is why I said destabilizing for the region. Uh,
1: This is not, this is a serious
0: step in the wrong direction. Are we drifting towards war? This was the Uh, view of Richard uh, Richard Haas, former uh, senior State Department official.
1: uh, This is a step in the wrong direction. For stabilization in the uh, Middle East again. If I were uh, responsible for Iran policy or Middle Eastern policy, and I'm not responsible for either, I would be more clear cut, but I'll leave it at that.
0: You talked about the the world order and mm-hmm. people who are trying to overthrow Part of that world order should include justice, shouldn't it? And if, if people like Assad, who you say we're not committed to any personality, we're not trying to get rid of Assad, why are you not trying to you get know, rid of Assad?
1: know, I believe. personally as someone spent much of my life that a world order to be truly effective and to be truly accepted around the world uh, should include justice. But I recognize that uh, that is not shared by everybody including much of the American public because uh, once you accept that that is part of it that's right to intervene or uh, need to intervene, this was very popular in the 1990s, I was involved in the uh, concept uh, when I worked on Bosnia. Uh, The problem with that is that it gets you involved in every internal conflict because typically in every internal conflict there are major uh, and serious abuses of justice. Whether that is necessary for a world order or not, I would just say that's to be debated.
0: Does the administration have an enduring interest in international justice? It says it supports the international, impartial and independent mechanism for Syria. It does. But why did it hold up money for it last year? It was widely criticized for doing that. Uh, Whether you
1: fund something or not, and whether you support something politically are two different things. Funding requires prioritization.
0: Stephen Rapp, former State Department Ambassador-at-Large for War Crimes, said the actual amount of the funding is only a fraction of the organization's budget, but the symbolism of America reneging on its pledge to help was devastating.
1: Uh, The United States, including this administration for Syria alone, has provided $10 billion in uh, humanitarian assistance, uh, and that is far more than any other country has done. Uh, Again, uh, one very important part of America's view in this administration, and at least in theory in prior administrations, and one I really adhere to is the idea of burden sharing. For example, the president before his decision to pull troops out of Syria decided that we wouldn't be doing uh reconstruction funding in the northeast anymore and asked us to turn to other countries and we've been fairly successful collecting it but we have been criticized by the US Congress and by some of our partners but again this is a question of if you uh 100 million dollars look at how much money we've put into humanitarian assistance uh president trump believes that uh, as part of a global coalition against ISIS, a global coalition in NATO and several other coalitions with many of the same members, whose uh, total GDP is roughly double that of the United States, that we should not be paying the burden that we're paying. And that is simply a uh, view of his. It was a view expressed, for example, in the NATO 2% by the Obama administration before him, and it's a view that is held by the American people. The American people do not like the deal in which we have to pay a disproportionately high. Uh, percent of the costs, as well as bear most of the military uh, risk (coughs) and losses in these international conflicts. That's simply the way it is.
0: Can I just go back to the issue of justice for a moment? Um, Is there a similar willingness to look at allegations of war crimes committed by the coalition in, in Syria? Amnesty International reported there was prima facie evidence that several coalition attacks killed and injured civilians, may have flouted international humanitarian law. it uh, those be investigated as so well? First of all, I'm not a lawyer, but uh, uh,
1: international humanitarian law is not law. It is a political theory. If it's international, what is international law is the Geneva Conventions. That's where you define war crimes. We look very carefully at every coalition strike. We have seen no example of war crimes.
0: Absolutely none? Absolutely none. But you would take part in any investigation to prove that?
1: (coughs) Uh, Define investigation.
0: Define investigation by the mechanism for Syria, the international independent mechanism for Syria, The UN
1: has looked at uh, this. The uh, IIAM has looked at uh, all of these attacks. Uh, They've raised questions. We've provided answers.
0: Your policy, which you've articulated towards Syria, has three strands, doesn't it? Ensure the enduring defeat of ISIS, Mm -hmm. which you've said has turned into a terrorist organization. So that is going to keep you busy for a very long time. The second priority is to ensure a political process that will produce a different kind of government Mm -hmm. that will encourage people to come back and be a decent player in the international arena. Very little chance of that happening with Assad remaining in power. He's never going to be a decent player,
1: is he? uh, The UN Security Council voted 15 to 0 for exactly that result in Resolution 2254 in December of 2015. It's not irresponsible of the United States to have as a political and diplomatic goal something that the Security Council has uh, unanimously endorsed.
0: But it's never going to happen, is it? It's a spy in the sky.
1: Well, we hope it will, but until it happens we're going to continue our unrelenting pressure on that regime.
0: Twenty months of bickering over a 150 member committee to write the country a new constitution, and the prospect of years of haggling, walkouts, fights stretching into the distant future. Is that it?
1: Uh, You've just described uh, the average diplomatic process that I get involved in.
0: Hundred times worse when you're doing it after a war of this nature?
1: Uh, I would say that every time you get people together, say in Geneva, which is the plan, uh, to start talking about a solution to a military conflict, as opposed to allowing this fighting to continue, uh, yeah, that's a step in the right direction. Again, We have seen only once in Idlib, and it was a limited offensive. It's an offensive we're very unhappy about. We're working on a UN Security Council resolution condemning it right now. Uh, But that's been the only case in the last 13 months of fighting breaking out. So I would say that we've had more success from 2018 to the present uh, than we did from say 2015 to 2017, for example. And
0: free and fair elections? that's also which, in the resolution talk, where, where, where do you have that in the arab world apart from tunisia which is just beginning to have them well where in the arab world has you free have them and fair elections Iraq.
1: that fair uh, free and fair elections is uh, a standard that we apply that the UN applies. certainly if you would ask the UN which managed uh, i think now uh, five or six elections in Iraq, Iraq they would basically give them fairly good uh, uh, marks in terms of free and fair. So if they can do it in Iraq, why can't they do it in Syria?
0: Your third priority, Iran, the removal of all Iranian-commanded forces from the entirety of mm-hmm. Syria. That again is not going to happen. They're built in. They're integrated with the Syrian government's forces,
1: are they? uh, A, they're not integrated. Uh, define integrated. Uh, are forces integrated in NATO? Yeah, they work together.
0: According to the Defense Intelligence Agency, Iran continues to field Islamic Revolutionary Guard soldiers, support the Lebanese Hezbollah, command a Shia foreign fighter network that includes militia from Iraq, Pakistan, and Iran.
1: All true, but they could leave tomorrow if there was a ceasefire that everybody believed in and if there was a political solution to the war, there would be no reason for these people to stay on.
0: And you think the policy of maximum pressure on them is going to bring that about?
1: Maximum pressure on Iran? I think that it is a fundamental tenet of our policy that if we do not find solutions to these issues that we've raised, the three goals that I have, a uh, different political solution in Syria, the withdrawal of all Iranian commander forces, and a um, enduring defeat of ISIS, that we are going to be on the road to a much bigger and far more dangerous war in Syria, not only involving uh, internal forces fighting the government and various terrorist groups, but potentially uh, any one of the six armies, counting the Syrian, that is present in or over Syria today.
0: Is the policy towards Iran going to change now since uh, John Bolton has left?
1: Uh, I don't do Iran. I certainly know that I don't know of anybody in the U.S. government at any level that does not think that uh, uh, Iran's encroachment on the region, uh, its hegemonic uh, tendencies, its uh, use of Asymmetrical warfare throughout the region, as we just saw this weekend, is not at the very top of the threats to uh, uh, regional security, and we act accordingly.
0: Ambassador James Jeffrey. Thank you. Thanks very much for being on conflict side.
1: Okay, thank you. Thank you.